Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. to the Youthscape podcast. We're so glad you've tuned your beautiful ears into our dulcet tones. And first up is my dulcet tones. I'm Rachel Gardner. And to my left, we have the pro, the only person who actually has worked in the media. It's Martin Saunders. Let us hear your voice, Martin. I'm worried now that you've, <laughs> you've set the bar of expectation way too high. Oh, I just, I'm loving it. For those who've just tuned in for this episode, your first ever Youthscape podcast episode, we are still tripping out on the fact we have decent mics which give our voice reverb. Can I give you a confession? You just because you built me up too high. I did. Um, so I've never told you this. I oh, did no. the presenter training course at Premier Christian Radio. Premier Christian Radio! Uh, so, oh, so, yeah, but here's the dark truth. I failed. How did they you dropped fail? me. They How? dropped me from the course because I wasn't good enough. What were you doing that was... I, I think there was a certain way of presenting at Premier that was the, the boss had a very certain style that he wanted and I couldn't conform to it. <laughs> and so he said, you know what, this probably isn't for you. But maybe he didn't know that he was preparing you for these fringe, dark, like underbelly of, of youth escape podcasting. If my life had gone better... <laughs> I I wouldn't be with you. I would be sitting doing. I could be doing the the breakfast show well, on Premier you. Radio. Could you imagine? No, I can't imagine. We're not going to imagine because you're here with us in the studio. Anyway, now we have got an important topic to talk about today, which which I have to say, you and I are a little bit hesitant with this because we neither of us are psychologists. <laughs> or, or very good at this. Or very good at anything particularly. But we really <laughs> felt in this season of the new normal, we have to talk about burnout we yep. have to talk about self-care we have to talk about taking care of ourselves with the many multiple different hats that we wear anyway yep. as leaders but particularly uh, since march 23rd when the world was thrown into free fall and suddenly life got smaller but for many many people a lot lot busier so we want to talk about this because this has been a long season of, of of leading in uncertainty and so uh you might be the sort of person who's actually very good at self-care. Um, so another thing we want to think about in this episode is how well we're noticing and taking care of those in our teams, those around us who might not be so good at uh, self-care and taking care of themselves when they're pastoring others. Uh-huh, um, super. Which, so, um, so this is a kind of a, we're going to have a little conversation with a, a couple of brilliant people. Uh, who are fortunately much more qualified to have this conversation mm, than we are. Which is wonderful. Um, and, uh, and we're going to explore this world of burnout. And a really interesting, I, I just want to get this in at the start, you talked about the difference between burnout and habitual yes. burnout. So let's yes. talk about that. Just to, just tell us what that well, means. Well, I, I, mean, I think because my notion of burnout, you, you asked me off air, have you ever burnt out, Rachel? And I said, I don't know, because I, my picture is of, of, of me not being able to do and like not being able to get out of bed or not being able to do anything for, for months. I've not experienced that, but I think I experience habitual burnout where I 
I just, I, I'm, I just get to the end of my tether and I'm crying. I'm so tired. I, I lose, I lose whatever it is I feel I should be holding on to, and, and then I have a supportive network around me and I, and I pick myself up. But I wonder if actually I've, I've slightly got used to this kind of slightly habitual. I know that holidays I'm going to be a nightmare for the first three days because like yeah. I, I'm so low. So I wonder if actually a little bit that what develops in, in lots of our rhythms is that we actually experience habitual burnout, but we don't, we don't really see it as that. I wonder whether the um, the school year helpfully facilitates that oh, and does. the church calendar. Yes. So you sort of you crawl towards the finish yeah, line. And we say that, don't we? Yeah, like, just crawling towards yeah, half term or, or the Christmas holidays yeah. or, or just crawling towards the summer and then I'll get a break. Yes. And then you do and you do have this sort of three or four days of crashing, yes. which feels terribly unhealthy. Yeah, and we all know it. And then you pick yourself up again. And we again make big decisions about Sabbath. But, you know, yeah. we, we listen to podcasts about Sabbath. And and I think the other thing I wanted to kind of sort of mention is that, yeah, we all know now that we haven't had that, the rhythm of the summer break and all that kind of stuff. So probably mm. lots of us are, are functioning in out of a different space. We're using, like, different um, resources from within us. Still Holy Spirit driving us, fueling us. But we're realising, oh, this is different. I think also the combination of, of Zoom life where we've we've had to learn to kind of view each other so I love your challenge about how do we look out for each other because at the moment lots of the ways we're connecting with each other is through this kind of screen where we choose to to posture or to position ourselves in a certain way so Mm. I've noticed that I will tuck my hair behind one ear and I'll slightly put my head on one side and I'll smile now, I'm sure I smile in meetings anyway, but I really notice on Zoom meetings, I smile a lot. And I think it's because I'm thinking, I want to smile at you all. But I wonder if what I, how I come across is, I'm fine. Mm. I'm absolutely fine. Mm. Whereas in reality, I might be feeling, oh, I'm really not fine. But because I can see this little tiny box in my face and I want to communicate to people, I'm, I'm really happy to see you. I, I wonder if anyone else with that Zoom is going, oh, gosh, I can't be honest. Because you know, everyone else is smiling and being fine. So I was on a Zoom recently where somebody broke down in tears about, about something they just feel so passionate about. And it changed the dynamic. Like mm. Suddenly, we could all be real. So, so I think we need to probably pay even more attention in this season to spotting signs of burnout. Because I don't think what we'd normally see, we're going to be able to see. We're going to have mm. to get a bit cleverer and be like, no, are you okay? No, are you really okay? Yeah, you're you're very good at this, Rachel. Oh, you actually, this you. morning, yeah. I uh, I got a call from you. Yeah. Because I we we both left our hotel uh, separately, two different rooms. <laughs> just love just, the way you just just said that. Don't always expi- I'm never going to help you explain Whenever that. we're in a hotel, <laughs> I, never I always feel like this goes very badly wrong. <laughs> Two so separate rooms. Two different yes, parts of the same hotel. Two different <laughs> floors, I think. I think but was. I came out and found you hilariously in... Can I just paint a picture for you, gentle listener? I come out of my uh, out of the lift and I see uh, Rachel is there in the main like restaurant area. And she's got her phone propped up really super loud. And she's on a prayer meeting... <laughs> With not going to name drop anyone, but yeah. Nikki Gumbel's on the call, and um, and basically you you're you're like praying out loud, and this woman is praying. I can hear her. Yeah. I move to a different part of reception because I don't even want to be associated with you. It's all about name dropping, what, Jesus. What were you thinking? Well, uh, anyway, I was, I was thinking this is normal to me. Oh, therefore, and I just want everyone else in the restaurant to get involved. I'm going to freak out everybody <laughs> in this hotel. So, um, anyway, the point is, I was wearing a face mask. 
Um, and so you hadn't seen me no. that morning, obviously. No. And so, <laughs> just to be clear again, and so um, you, 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 and so you rang me. I and did. you were like, are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay? Because you hadn't seen, because obviously people can't smile with their, their eyes. I noticed it was a black way. face mask. I was like, I can't actually see his face. And yes. It, you know, and I, it's got a skull and crossbones bit, on it. Yeah, that's right. Back off. Yeah, no, anyway, I was a bit concerned. A long way yeah. of, a long way of saying, <laughs> a terribly long way of saying, you, um, you're very good at asking the question. And I think we do need to be a bit more Rachel Gardner, uh, just in this regard, and, and ask each other mm. intentionally that uncomfortable question that I think more, the more we do digitally, the less we find it easy to ask that question. Mm, absolutely. But to, to ask the question, how are you doing? And are you okay? And mm. what's going on for you? And push beyond the, I'm fine. I think a, a nice little question is, when was the last time you stopped and did something that you really enjoyed doing? Or when was the last time you had a little check-in thought about how you're feeling? So I think sometimes asking, are you okay? People don't like that, do they? But no. like, when was the last time you just checked in with, with what's going on? If you know someone well, you can ask that, can't you? Yeah. So having said all of that, I, I think we're just very conscious, uh, lovely listener, it, that actually at the moment we don't know how you know, you're doing. And you might be someone who's doing absolutely fine, that's absolutely brilliant. But, but if you are feeling, oh, I wonder if actually what I'm experiencing is a bit of burnout you know we're not going to say that's what you're feeling but we do want to say spend some time just listening to yourself focusing on what it is you're feeling and um and don't be afraid to reach out mm. and say i don't think i'm okay um you know people that love you and you can trust them <laughs> they're not going to suddenly you know say oh my goodness you know they actually want to be there to get around you and mm. encourage you and we need that encouragement right now so we caught up with um jenny osborne who's a youth worker she's been a youth worker for about 20 years and and more recently her her role is supporting people who support young people, caring for people who care for young people. And this is what Jenny had to say. So, Jenny, you are um, you're a former colleague of ours here right. at Youthscape. Yes, um, and, indeed I am. And you've had a long and distinguished career in youth ministry and youth work um, and you've taken a few different places along that time so um, do you want to give us a little um, potted history of your uh, of your youth work journey? Yeah sure so I started um, my youth work journey really as a teenager um, but then into um, youth work um, youth ministry training with Oasis Trust um, a very long time ago now, we were talking about it the other day, I think it's 22 years since I started that course, which is phenomenal. Um, I went from that into working in a school and teaching in a secondary school, and then into local schools work. And then finally, that's where the, the Youthscape part of my journey came in was after that, and joining the National Schools Work UK team for a little while so yeah i've been a youth worker for a really long time <laughs> yeah and just so just tell us a little bit about what you do now jenny so now i'm a, a freelance self-employed and i run a sort of mentoring and training um with the aim of supporting those who support young people that's brilliant um, and so and so just you know, without breaking any confidences, of course, you know, give us a little bit of a, of a picture of what you think the last six, seven, eight months has, has been like uh, for the leaders who've had to process the impact on themselves, on their teams and on young people. I think it's, it's, been, it's been a roller coaster of a ride, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. I think um, 
that for so many youth workers, they found themselves uh, learning, new, having to learn new skills overnight, um, having to kind of make some really big decisions about um, what they're going to do with their young people and how they're going to maintain that contact. Um, I think that um, youth leaders and church leaders together have really struggled with the dynamic of how how their uh, working patterns should look now um and then there's that's for those who've still been in work so then there's a whole range of people who've had the experience of being furloughed and um therefore the the sort of a, a bit of a fallow time i guess in terms of their contact with young people and that's all been really difficult to manage and then they're coming back from all of that um i did a i'm doing a presentation in which I'm now talking about that time of lockdown as, as feeling like a much simpler time than the time we're in now, strangely. You know, it's been such a strange year um, and we didn't, uh, nobody could have foreseen any of it coming in, coming into it. So I think it has been a real challenge for our youth workers um, and for our young people too. And uh, I suppose the, the picture you're painting is one that we, we all will recognise. Um, mm. And it's interesting that you say almost the period that we're in now is it has its own level of complication and, and, and feeling overwhelmed because there's an expectation of being back to work, an expectation of somehow you should have nailed all the stuff that you were struggling with in lockdown. And, and so now we're in the autumn term, for goodness sake, this is the term where everything happens. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what, what, are, what are you sensing or seeing is, is the impact impact of that double whammy of of powerlessness during lockdown and then overwhelmed in this season what what how might that be showing up in people's lives how do we recognize the impact on us well i think that it is really important to recognize that there is an impact it's important that we kind of pause for a moment and and say to ourselves this has been an overwhelming year it's been a year where stress levels have been higher than than usual, um, where you know we've felt pressure from all sorts of different um, places, and not not only within our work, but also within personal life, within family lives, within you know um, all of that, all of the different um, kind of areas that we we live in, that we inhabit, um, have all gotten. Um, just the stress levels within those have all gotten much higher, I guess. And so we need to be careful that we're not not heading to overwhelm and burnout with um, just the overall uh, stress of, of the situation, um, of the, all the different situations that we're in as well. Um, Do you have any thoughts, Jenny, about how um, we support other people in this um this time, I mean, we we um, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit more later on in this podcast about how we look after ourselves. But just thinking about the teams we might be in, um, if we're working full time or leading a youth work, we might have a volunteer team, or if we're volunteer, we might have a volunteer team around us, peers, mm. friends, others who we're looking to sort of journey with at this time. I'm not really thinking about young people, but other leaders. Sure. What can we do? What can we look out for? You know, how do we get alongside? Mm. I think probably the first thing to really recognise is that we can't pour from an empty cup. Actually, it's really important that we do look after ourselves as leaders, um, that we give ourselves um, the space that's needed, you know, the the kind of the self-care stuff. And self-care is not about scented candles and, and, and bubble bath, unless that really is your thing. Um, self-care is about, you know, 
uh, allowing yourself to um, to look after yourself, to do something that you enjoy and give yourself um, a bit of a break from all the stuff that's going on in your head um, and, and in your working life, um, as well as seeing family and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and also recognising that for a lot of us, we really need is somebody to listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're the leader of a team, then you know, find somebody who can listen to, to to you as the leader of the team. Probably somebody from without, outside of your context would be the yeah. most helpful yeah. thing there. If you're the leader of the team, recognising that your team is going to need people to listen to and might be able to be that person for some of those people, um, or, or you might feel that it's again, it's better to have a, an independent person doing that listening. Um, and I think making sure that your team is knows what it is that you are wanting them to do. Mm. Um, good management practice includes, you know, kind of ensuring that your that your team don't feel like they've got to work all the hours um, that God sends, kind of thing. They they don't have to be on all the time. They need to have good boundaries. They need to be able to um, put their work life down. Um, at times and and a, and good management looks like compassion and kindness and um and, and always being kind of approachable and open person to, for your team to be able to say to you i'm not coping <laughs> or you know there's this situation that's really I, i'm really struggling with this and i don't know what to do with it i'm not sure how to how to solve it and actually being able to kind of give some uh some of the tools that are needed by your team to really good to do. Well, what about um, when you have people on your team who you think are pushing themselves very hard, but they kind of maybe they're in the hero phase of response and they haven't figured out the need for self-care. And so you can see you can see the issue, but they can't. Like how do you intervene when you can see that somebody else on your team is heading for a fall um, but they won't, maybe maybe they won't even hear it, but they certainly haven't considered it because they're so committed to the thing that's right in front of them. That's a really hard place to sit in, I think. Um, and, it, and it can, yeah, it can be very difficult to help somebody understand um, and move away. I like that phrase you just used about the hero uh, sort of position. What, what did you say? The, the hero, hero phase of response. The hero phase. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I think it's a, because I recognize that in uh, a lot of, a, a lot of practice. I think, um, I guess there are different ways to approach it. Uh, it might mean having quite an awkward conversation. Um, and I, I don't think we, many of us relish that idea of having difficult conversations with our team. That can be a really, it can be really tricky. Um, but I think it's something that's a really important thing to get to grips with. Um, and certainly good line managers I know have always been happy to have those awkward conversations. Um, that would be well. Mm. Um, or it may mean sort of mandating something across the whole team, you know, and kind of really saying, right, this every Friday, this is what we're going to do as a team. Um, and trying to really kind of build that into your whole team practice um rather than perhaps leaving it to the individual that's that's um, brilliant Jenny. and i love that idea i think i think 
that's a great idea is about setting a, a culture even if at the moment teams are working at, at different paces setting a culture yeah. that when somebody actually needs the shelter mm. in there and they feel like they're falling they, they don't get lost I, I guess there might be some people listening um thinking I agree with all of that um I don't have a team or or maybe I'm not being line managed like that myself and and you know this is a, a key issue like what what would be what would be like a, a, a piece of wisdom or advice like what could somebody do if they if they're feeling a lacking of management but though they would benefit from it and you know we tend to manage in the way that we've been learning from others haven't we so 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 what what could we do around that one way one way to try and manage that is i guess finding somebody from again from outside of perhaps the context with whom you can talk through things and say how does this sound to you or how do i pr- approach this with this person with with somebody else you know you might not want to name them particularly mm. um i think youth workers can get a little bit into a situation where they are either self-managing, managing up. Mm. So you have this situation where you are trying to manage your line manager, <laughs> um, which can have some reward to it, but I think it's a very tiring place to, to sort of sit in as, as the youth worker. And it, it's always hard, I think, because in a church context, um, we don't often have training in line management, how to line manage another person. And that can make it quite difficult. Um, so it might be something that you might suggest, be able to suggest to a wider group about let's do some training on HR practices or in management of other people. We want to see youth workers and volunteers stick in youth ministry for the long haul. That's our heart yes. and our aim, isn't it? And, and this is probably one of the most challenging times to try and do any of that um mm. so so how what do you see what, what are we going to need to grab hold of so that we can really stick in this for the long haul we need to know what our vision and our values are as youth workers we need to understand what direction either us as individuals or us as our organization wants to go in and we need to encourage our organization to revisit those and to make sure that they are long lasting long you know they're going to serve us long term i think I think mental health is going to be a huge deal for our young people as well as for us as adults yes, and we do need we need to have an eye on that and looking at how we how we support our young people and our team in terms of their mental health will be really key going forward. So I think it's really important to start with thinking about how this idea of burnout and not looking after yourself um, can affect the teams around us and affect uh, other people. But I think it would be also really important in this episode for us to think about ourselves, uh, not in a selfish sense, but in a uh, because we're always, well, very often the last people that we think of caring for, right? And so I don't know whether you... Do you find self-care easy, Rachel? No, I don't. And I, the problem is I, I don't, but then I get very quickly into the blame game and say, well, if I didn't have two kids I've got to look after, I didn't have X, Y, and Z, then I would. So I think I'm very... I need to sort of take a bit more responsibility, not in a shaming way, but actually it's good to care for yourself and it's good for all your relationships if you're looking after yourself as well. So no, I don't, I don't find it easy, do you? Do you know what I never make time to do? You may have noticed this from my... Um, you know, grizzled good looks in the oh, one in the one photo that I've uh, 
shared on social media over the last two years. But I, I struggle to shave. Do you? I struggle to find time to shave. because Find it's time like, to shave or effectively shave? No, I don't shave. struggle to effectively shave. Okay. okay. But I struggle to make the time. What? <laughs> Sorry. I struggle to make time to shave. So I often oh. have half a beard. Not because I think oh. it looks good. I obviously don't think it looks terrible. Otherwise, I wouldn't allow it. But um, but I, I, I don't actually have time to prioritise just like five minutes for myself in front of the mirror. Wow. Which maybe sounds a bit weird to people who spend more than that in front of the mirror every day. But um, but I've never prioritised that. And does that say to you that, that actually that's an indicator that the self-care thing, you could, you could be doing that a bit yeah, better? Yeah, okay. exactly that. Yeah. Like, it's just a thanks for making joining the dots there, Rachel. Uh, but, you know, like I, I don't, I, I find it very difficult to just dedicate time mm. to something which purely benef- benefits me. And I don't say that to sound all, you know, altruistic and wonderful. But it's helpful to identify though, isn't it? Because often it is the smallest, simplest things that make you realise that. So I, so I think it is important that we, that we chat about, about how it's affecting us. Yes, that's where we were going. And so we're going to find someone who's better at this stuff and a bit more mature than we are. And so our next <laughs> guest, <laughs> our next guest uh, ticks all those boxes. Uh, and so uh, this is what happened when we talked to the very wonderful mm-hmm. Adam Pryor. So um, first I say it's a real privilege to be here and good morning, good afternoon to you guys. Uh, long story short, um, I grew up in a vicarage. At the first early six years, my dad was in industry. He then, we moved to North London uh, and uh, Theological College and then he was a vicar in Kent and Sussex. Um, I went to Crawley when I was 11 uh, and uh, became a Christian when I was 12. But I, I lost interest in my faith in my mid-teens. Uh, my grandfather died. I couldn't understand how God would um, take my granddad away mm-hmm. and I just lost interest in church. And long story short, I went to church because basically my mum told me I had to go. Uh, and um, when I was about 15, uh, the we had a youth club on a Friday night right in the middle of a council estate, quite quite a tough area of Crawley. Uh, and the youth worker, um, I say youth worker, he worked full-time in industry, so it's just you know Friday night youth worker, called Steve, said to me, you play football, we've got these lads on a Friday night, would you come and kick a ball around with them? And that's what I did. I went to the youth club in the, the later one, so the early one, and I just kicked a ball around, and I really enjoyed it. And, that's, and then we did weekends away and all sorts of things. And I went to uni and did social sciences and I enjoyed all that. And then um, I took a year out and in my I, working for a church, I found it so hard. In fact, I vowed I'd never, never do it again. And in the middle of doing this time, this lady rang me one day and she said to me, um, you, I did a, like evangelistic team that summer before. And she said, you'd make a really good youth worker. And it's the first piece of encouragement I had in three months of being in this church. Uh, and I said, oh, why do you say that? And she explained why. And I thought, oh, yeah, I enjoyed it in Crawley. That was, yeah, it was good. But maybe I was just growing up. It's the thing you do, da, da, da. And she, I said, how do you get into youth work? She said, well, interesting. The Guardian newspaper um, do, um, like, courses. And so I, it was just a Tuesday. So the next day I bought the Guardian. On the back of the Guardian, there was an advert for a youth and community course at Lancaster. Uh, and um, I did it. And then um, at the end of the course, I was looking for a job and I wrote to a vicar in London and I just said, look, I'm not expecting you to give me a job, but do you know any churches that might be willing to employ me? I, I love Jesus and I love young people and that's that. And um, uh, this vicar rang me up from Surrey and said, would you come and talk to me? And I'd seen his church advertise the job the summer that summer. This is summer of 96, the great Euro 96. Uh, <laughs> and um, and I, um, I said to him, I didn't apply for the job because I seen a youth worker. I thought you'd have to be 30 and married. I was 24 and going out of Charlotte, who's now my wife, but 24 and effectively single. 
And he said, no, no, it's about heart. And we chatted and long story short, he gave me the job. And I actually, um, it's this month, 24 years this month, I've been wow. doing um, doing church youth ministry. I, I worked the privilege in Ashton for nine years, Soul Survivor for nine years, uh, and here in Stevens will be six years in December. So um, wow. I think it, I think it's a calling, really. I, 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 I think... I think God called, I mean, I, the guy I replaced in Ashton is a really amazing guy, quite well known in Christian circles. He was like a giant of youth ministry. And I felt, I felt like a, like the passage in, in uh, um, yeah, where is it? It's in um, the Old Testament. I never, I'm not very good on Bible. I should know as being as a vicar. But anyway, <laughs> where you feel like a grasshopper compared to the giant. I felt like yeah. a grasshopper, but I really felt God speak to me very clearly. I, I felt, he gave me this picture and I could see myself in the room with young people and I was asking them what they thought, what they thought. There's actually a plant in the corner of the room as well. And that's all, I, for 24 years, that's all I've done. I just try to ask young people questions, try and listen to their answers. I'm not saying I'm any good at it. Try and empower people, try and give them some encouragement. But I've really tried to um, let young people take take the lead. Like mm. Steve, I was 14. It wasn't because I was the vicar's son. It's because I like football. Yeah. Uh, and and I felt like that's all I've tried to do. So that's me, really. That that's awesome, Adam. And I I didn't know what what you're going to say. I've I've known my husband and I have known you and Charlotte probably the last sort of ten, eleven years. Yeah, but I didn't know fun. all that all that stuff before. But I guess that's a beautiful way in because actually what you've just done is you've painted this picture of not waking up one day saying I know what for the the career progression of my life <laughs> will be in this direction but actually you sort of sense that calling and it felt a bit clunky and you just kept saying yes and there's huge passion and huge drive and dedication and I guess everyone listening to this however you've been called into youth ministry it, it's not just oh I need any kind of job what shall I do um what will pay the bills or not pay the bills um but actually the sense of deep calling which I guess Adam means that when we talk about burnout, maybe there's something there that, that that means potentially we're more vulnerable to that because it's a sense of your whole self is given to this. So when things are difficult or challenging or you're going through a global pandemic and can't actually meet young people, the very thing you feel you're called to do doesn't happen and, and that's difficult. So I mean, what is your reading at the moment of, of how the youth ministry community is doing? Are, are, are you noticing that, that youth workers are are struggling with, with the stuff I've just been sharing? Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, obviously that's a huge question. I think my synopsis would be that I have been close to burnout on a number of occasions. I was very close three years ago when we went through a really tricky time um, in a relation to the, the kind of funding of our church. Uh, in that uh, we were given three years funding by the Church of England. And then they, they were lovely, but they basically, the diocese were like, we, we love you, we'll give you a great reference, but we don't think you'll get the money to make this work. Um, so we suggest you leave. I've, I've still got the letter from the bishop, uh, that he, and he's a good friend of mine, we get on well. Um, but I, I just felt God called me here, and I, I couldn't, and I was, I mean, I, I, was, I felt physically sick. Mm. Uh, when I came home from that meeting, I, I stood in the hallway of my house for five hours, my jacket on, and didn't move. I could not understand how God had made it so clear to leave a, a privilege of a job in Watford uh, with Soul Survivor and the whole community there to come here. I, I did not understand. I, I couldn't get it. Uh, and um, and I guess really sometimes I think with burnout, um, I wonder whether is it because people of our peer group, like Rachel Martin and I, we're like in our 40s, I guess. People in our peer group are now in those places of influence. And maybe I wonder, is it because burnout is high on the agenda because our peers are trying to work it out or is burnout high on the agenda because actually it's a reality that actually we as people are working too long hours with burning the candle both ends 
and we haven't worked out what a good rhythm of life um, should be. Uh, I, I don't know. So for me, I um, I went to see my doctor and over a, a, year, a year, he tried to convince me to take medication and I kept refusing. And in the end, um, I, I, I said, I, I need I need you to talk to me, God. I need you to tell me that this is the right thing to do. I wasn't being proud. I'm not afraid. I, take, I have migraines. I take medication for that. It's just I just couldn't. Yeah. I had to hear. Yeah. And I went to a dinner party uh, uh, with some friends and um, the guy sitting next to me, um, who's a friend of mine, but knew none of this journey, turned to me other than saying hello. And they said, hey, mate, do you know that I take Satanapram? I could not believe it. I, I could not believe. I thought this is the most bonkers, you know, mm. uh, opening statement in a dinner party. I was kind of thinking, I wish I sat next to your wife. But anyway, but like <laughs> it was, um, but it was, and it, that, and I felt like I had permission to do it. And then I bumped into uh, Dr. Kate Middleton and chatted to her at length. And so uh, burnout is real. Um, and I was close in Ashdod. Ashdod was six days a week for nine years. Um, crazy, amazing place, but crazy. Um, I guess um, I think I've learned um, when people say to love yourself, I don't really know how to do that, really, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm trying to learn that. I, I feel like I know how to love others. Um, our top value of our church is love extravagantly, love Jesus, love his presence, love his people, love Stevenage. Um, but loving me, um, I've, I've learned I'm not a robot. Um, Sharon, I'd love to have children, but we don't. So I slightly envy the, the, the kind of the, the natural stop that comes in with, mm. with that when I see that in my brother and sister and their families. Mm. Um, but I'm learning... Um, I'm, I'm learning that if I burn out, um, then it's not much good long term, really. Uh, and Charlotte, de- you know, does depend on me, but I have responsibilities wow. to my wife to to um, to honour her and, and, and to look after myself wow. in the process. So yeah. um, but I do. Yeah, I, I, I probably I struggle with anxiety. So I'm quite happy to say that I, I think I'm much better than they were. I'm not on medication at the moment. If I have to go back, that's OK. Um, but I've changed some of the ways I operate in my, so I've been reading. I've, I've read a lot of Kate Middleton's stuff, which is excellent. Um, I've read um, the uh, Stress Solution book by the doctor from Manchester, whose name I can't pronounce. Who's really he's written the Four Pillars of Life. Um, I think Christopher Ash's book Zeal Before Burnout is brilliant. Uh, that's probably one of the best ones I've read. Uh, and and then of course you can read the book, but if you don't put the practices in, yes, um, right. so so my phone is off one day a week as a minimum. Uh, I hear all the things that we advise, but I, I love young people um, and I want to see Jesus, Jesus change lives. And um, but if I'm laid up, then I'm going to miss it. And life is short. And so when when you um, well, first of all, Adam, thank you yes. for sharing so honestly. That thank will be you. so um, helpful for yes. other people and liberating yes. for other people to be able to hear mm. that level of honesty. But um, I wonder how um, when you are somebody who loves young people with the core of your being and loves God and wants to see his people flourish. And that's not just like, that's not just your job. That is sort of inextricably who you are. How do you, how do you separate off the, your identity so that your identity isn't in that stuff and how well all that stuff goes in your, in your work? How do you, how do you just have, your identity, Adam, as a child of God, as we know it should be, you know, according to all those books, um, when you are so tied up in your in your your calling is just so much a part of you. It's not like being, I don't know, 
a, a manager of a shop or, or working in a factory or running a, a bank even, you know, whatever, the, whatever job, ultimately there's like these clear stopping lines where your, jo- where your job ends and your humanity, your identity begins. That's not the case so easily in ministry, especially when you've, you've told this very moving story of how you've just invested your whole life in young people and in vulnerable people. How, do, how on earth do you draw a line? It's a, that's a great question. Um, I think it's very difficult to answer. I think I'd, I'd probably fail 99% of the time. I remember in Soul Survivor, Mike saying a lot that, uh, about how um, we as people, um, we needed to know that we love Jesus with all our heart and, and what we did was secondary. And he and I'd heard that narrative for 20 odd years and people in Surrey would give me books to read on your identity being in Christ. And the truth is I'd give them to my wife to read so she could tell me what the answer was. Um, but um, but it's only when I went to Soul Survivor when, when Mike, I think he just started, you know, Mike has a brilliant way of yes, communicating. Yes. He articulated it as a lifelong youth worker. Mm. He articulated the need that we needed to like to know that God loved us. And I remember a few times I met one to one with him and he, he probably won't remember, uh, but he, he used to say these things and, and he'd be like, mate, you know, you really need to know God loves you. And I found them really profoundly helpful. Yes. Uh, and um, and it was just like, uh, because, you know, he, A, he's lived a life and, and B, um, it was, yeah. So I think, I guess, how, how do you know? I guess I'm Adam. Um, I, um, I'm a Christian. I seek to love Jesus. Uh, I... Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not my job. Um, one day I'll leave Oak. I'll pass the baton on. Um, God's been very kind to me. I've never had to apply for a job. I don't mean to sound arrogant in that at all. It, it's quite tricky. It's quite restless. But I never had to apply for Ashdale. I didn't have to apply to Watford, and I didn't have to apply to come here. Um, so I've just tried to sort of fuddle my way through. But I'm Adam. I'm not. I'm not Oak. And I say to people all the time, people say, Oak's your baby. It's like, I, I don't, I, I'd love to have a child, I'd have a baby, but I wouldn't know. But I don't, I don't think it is. It's like, it's a community. I take responsibility for it. Um, I don't want to name drop. I was talking to someone a few years ago at festivals and he started the church in the same year as me. And he was like, our, our kids are like five years old. So I understood what he meant, but I was thinking, but, but this is a community. This isn't me. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm separate to the community. I love the community and I'd give my all for it but I'm not the community. Uh, and, um, you know, it's like, um, I'm Adam. I've made a commitment to marry Charlotte, to love my wife, to love my friends, to love my family. And, and therefore, and to try and be a follower of Jesus. So like, I always find the sermons on obedience uncomfortable um, <laughs> because they, because you always feel like, you know, we, there's a depth to go to that I'm not yet at. It's like when I did theology at St. Melitus, I realized that actually I'd been a Christian 20 years. I knew 1% of the Bible. Uh, and, and I actually think being a follower of Jesus, sometimes I think we know like 2% of what it is to yeah. follow Christ. And sometimes when we're going through the hard times, we have more space to, to read and reflect. And so like in midwinter, I like to sit in my garden with a deck chair. And Charlotte's like, what are you doing? But I'm like, I like listening to the wind because it reminds me of the Holy Spirit oh, and stuff. Brilliant. So I just, I just think like... um. I think so. Yes, yeah, so I, I I can't really give the answer. I just feel I'm not my job. I've learned more and more with perhaps with age that you know, as we all do, I can I can live with most things. But when a young person like this morning we had a meeting and I feel our youth work is not where I want it to be, and it is primarily to do with COVID. 
but I feel responsible for it. And I feel like maybe there's an element of pride. I've been doing this for 24 years. I should know how to do this, <laughs> but, um, but I don't. The culture is different. Life is different. Stevenage is different. And so I'm just trying to muddle my way through. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus and be here as long as he calls yeah. me to really. You very kindly earlier on um, identified that um, both you and Martin are in your 40s. I, of course, am in my 20s. But, um, <laughs> but um, we've all been in this um, for, for a while. And so I, I think um, people who are listening, you are very safe to open your, your heart to Adam because actually this wisdom that's coming from you, Adam, is, is very hard won. So, um, you know, what, what would be your message, for want of a better word, to youth workers, volunteers listening to this who may just be at the moment quite feeling quite arrested by what they're hearing and thinking, that's me too, that's me. What, what's your heart for them? Um, I think, first of all, just to say um, it's the greatest privilege to be a youth worker. From my opinion, it's the best job in the world. If you were to access my personal details and get to my security questions, the answer is, what is your best job in the world is a youth worker? It's in all my security <laughs> questions. So there you go. Um, I think I would I would say, fear not. I think the Lord is God. He remains God. Like we don't have loads of young people. It is humbling. Like if I feel like some people in life, you know, like you start in your twenties with some responsibility, and then you end up in your sixties and you're kind of leading big things. I feel like in Surrey we had loads of young people around. Um, and then in Salisbury again, quite a lot, huge numbers. And now in, in Stevenage, like hardly any around. And I think, crumbs, I'm, I'm, am I, have I just lost it? Am I not any good anymore? Uh, but but it, it's, it's, just, it's about the soil. It's not about the seed. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't I don't know the I don't know the soil where you are. Um, but if it's anything like the soil where I am, it's hard. And it's got a lot of rocks in it. So I think at the moment, maybe use the pandemic to go do some prayer walking. Mm-hmm. A, it's good for get your ten thousand steps up. Uh, mm-hmm. B, it's good for the mind. Uh, and and see who knows what God will do through our obedience, that diligence. So just wandering around. I, I think um, I think that let's let's not be afraid. God is God is God, and He we 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 live. You know, one Peter says we live it. All all men are like grass. The flowers of the field they we have a season, and then we then we don't have a season. And it's hard when we're not having a season because we all want a season. Mm. No one wants no one wants to be the person who's not in season. Like um. Mm. Yeah, you know, we all want to be in that place where actually, you know, this is like amazing. You invite all these people, everyone turns up, people become Christians and they invite their mates and like those nights are golden. But often it feels like you send out a text and six people turn up, and three then can't make it, and you're standing there thinking, Where is everybody? Mm. Um, I don't think Jesus cares. I, I really don't. I think that he he looks at our hearts and 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 I think he will there are times when Jesus spent time with five thousand guys and you know, women and children, twenty five thousand feeding them. There are other times he's on his own on the mountain. Mm. And I think we have to perhaps in this time of pandemic, and I'm speaking to myself, I'm at home on my own in my study at home. There's no one here. When I go to the office, there's six people in there and it's lively and it's fun and there's good banter. I'm here currently in my own space. Um, it's being in both spaces. Mm. I think the key is we occupy the space that God, God allows us to have. So if he calls us to read a book on burnout, then we read a book on burnout. If he calls mm. us to go prayer walking, we go prayer walking. If he calls us to go and watch a young person play football because we haven't seen him for six months, then we go and do that. Mm. I think all we do is try and be obedient and the Lord will use us. Amen. So um, I, I tell you what, how I'd like to end this, um, Adam, without putting you on the spot. The, it, we've been friends for a long time. And yeah, whenever, whenever um, it, you and I uh, meet and then part, we 
you never let me go yes. without praying for me. Absolutely. And, and that's really noticeable. I don't have many friends who do that. And the greatest thing about you, Adam, is you seem to, you seem to not be able to know how to make that the most embarrassing and public thing ever. <laughs> so it's always like in the middle of the high street in Luton or, or in the bar at a youth fest- conference or something where, you know, we're just people have got to keep walking past. It's a real gift of yours. Uh, but seriously, I really appreciate it. And, um, and so I have a little question and then I have a task for you. So the question is, um, you know, what, why is that a practice you've adopted because I think it's a really good practice. I wish I did it more. In fact, I'm going to commit to doing it more. Um, just when I'm with a friend, actually, n- not just having a chat, but also having a pray. So why is that important to you? But then I wonder whether you'd pray for our listeners, because there's lots of people who are listening to this, processing all sorts of things. And I think, you know, you're someone who does, does walk with the Lord genuinely, and prayer is not something you put on for show. It is a practice of your daily life. And it's very powerful when you do it. So I'd love you to pray for us as well. I'd love to pray for you. It's a privilege. Um, I, I had a basically, I had the privilege of working with a great, amazing people uh, in both Surrey and in Watford, and it was modelled to me really by a friend of mine who's no longer with us, who's with the Lord, uh, who whose family live in Luton actually, uh, and he every time we meet, he would Simon would stop and he'd pray, and and I and um and I think I've just tried to pick it up from there, and, and I guess really I made a, a deal with God. It, the history is 18 years ago, early 2002. Uh, I was really busy, and my granddad was on my mind constantly. Uh, and uh, and um, long story short, when I rang him, the, the phone rang, and there was no answer, which I thought was a bit odd, really. Uh, and then my dad rang me late next day to say he'd driven to Devon to get hold of granddad, and granddad had had a heart attack and had died. And and I was in in my busyness of so trying to run some sort of youth thing. I didn't reach out to my granddad when the Lord clearly put him on my mind. And I made a deal with God that if people come to mind, then I will always text them. I'll always seek to reach out to them. Um, and, I, and and so when I have the privilege of sitting down with people, I just think like nine tenths of what I say probably is not great. But I think if the Holy Spirit can say something and I can just say, look, I might be wrong. I wonder if um, then then I think it, it makes things worthwhile. And Simon always did that. He always, you know, whether you were 95 walking down Ashdod High Street, or me, 25, you know, on a youth meeting, he always stopped and prayed. And that, the combination of my granddad, the word, like, so that's, you know, how I do it. And it's funny because sometimes young people, you know, I've said years ago, I texted a young person and said, you're on my mind. And apparently he'd been out that night before. He's a vicar now, I won't house him. But he'd been out that night before, got absolutely hammered uh, and um, and said to his mate, so like, did you tell Pryor that I was out getting drunk? He texted me just when I was down in my neck last Jager bomb or something, you know, like saying, Hey mate, you're on my mind. But like, um, but it was just like, it was just, I, I didn't, I didn't. And I said to him, I didn't know you're getting drunk. It's just the Holy Spirit can see it, pal, but I, I couldn't. It's just, you're on my mind. And that, and that's how I try and do it really. Um, and that's, and I guess like when we meet, I just think it's, it's a privilege to meet with people and we want, we want people to draw close to Jesus. And yeah, that's the bits we remember. So we've got thousands of youth workers listening to this right now, or maybe slightly fewer than that. But um, <laughs> but I think, you know, yes. lots of people will be processing all sorts of things at the moment. Yes. And it would just be lovely if um, you'd pray for them. Sure. Yeah, so it's a, so a huge privilege. Well, it's, um, so come Holy Spirit. Father God, I thank you for every single person that listens uh, to this. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for 
where they are today, whether they're listening uh, live or, or whether uh, they'll listen in the future. I ask you, Holy God, that you would speak to each of us, Lord, as we seek to follow you in the middle of um, this really tricky time. I was reminded of uh, words of a song. I think it's Martin Smith's song, but I'm sure you'll correct me if it's not where it talks about find me in the river. Uh, and I just I might be wrong. I wonder if there's some of us who are listening and, and we we feel a bit dry right now. Uh, and our vicar is asking for answers on why the youth work is as it is and is nervous and we feel under pressure and we feel dry. And I just think the Lord would say or might be saying I might be wrong that um, as we draw near to him um, we will find him in that space i pray lord for um a deep sense of your love a deep sense of your spirit i also want to pray for increased innovation and proclamation may they go hand in hand the creativity to see and the courage to say come holy spirit we pray in jesus name amen so we've asked people to um be a bit vulnerable and uh, and to sort of engage with something a bit difficult in this podcast so i felt like it would be a good thing to do to end with a bit of honesty from us as well so just as we finish, you know, Rachel, what's your engagement been with this issue? Have you have you actually experienced a sort of full burnout or mm. have you sensed yourself on the on the cusp of it? Are you a habitual <laughs> burner out or have you had those bigger experiences? Yeah, well, I think since March 20th, 23rd, going to lockdown, I think I have cried more since then than I've ever cried in my life. Mm. Um, and I am quite a crier. I think crying is really healthy. Um, I think I've felt a low dread that I've not been able to shake and at the beginning I thought I've got to shake this and then as the months went by I thought I haven't got to shake this I just need to stand in this and find Jesus standing with me in this so I think I I would go as far as saying this has felt a bit like the dark night of the soul for me these last few months but which doesn't mean that there's no for me it hasn't meant there's no spark of joy and there's been no moments that have been fun or spontaneous or brilliant. but the, the overriding feeling has been a low dread that's the best way to describe it actually but I I think I don't want to sound facetious and I don't want to sound like I've come out the other side and so I've now got great wisdom to share but I part of me feels that actually there's something that I'm discovering about God's relentless presence with me um that that I that I don't I wouldn't want to have not been able to mine and discover mm, and yeah. I've talked lots about you know just the home situation and with the children and, and how very challenging that's been and I think it has been in the bedrooms late at night when my children are not sleeping and are overwhelmed with anxiety and I've realized I've got to I need to be not adding my anxiety to this mix I've got to be calm but I'm not naturally calm and and crying out to God in in my heart in a way I've never cried out before I think so I, I do think there are there are aspects of this that 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 become like these 
diamonds that mm. you're just like, I, don't, I, I wish I didn't have to do this to find these diamonds, but now I'm finding them. Mm. God, you're very good. So, so I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking over us. Just grin it and bear it because God will do something amazing. Not, not at all. But I think we can, we can stand in this or lie flat on our face in this and know that we are overshadowed by by God. God doesn't mm. leave us, and that that feels that feels remarkable to me. How, how about for you? Yeah, I mean, I I've had some encounters with burnout or near burnout in the past. Uh, so a couple of summers ago, I didn't realize how mm. tired I was and how full up my brain was and how kind of ready I was just to like scream and shout and run away. Um, and I got to probably actually the first night of being on holiday and realized that my chest didn't feel compressed anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was a feeling that I hadn't recognized until it oh, wasn't wow, there. Yes, that's it. So I recognized the absence of the problem, yes, as it were. Yes. And then that's actually, a great point. Yeah. And then I was okay. And then I had a proper two week holiday and I actually came back and put some disciplines and some rhythms in place. And that's been for me, my best way of navigating the last six months is to put a whole rule of life in place and to try to do some good things for myself every day that are putting something into the tank mm-hmm. as well as, you know, all the stuff, all the withdrawals that I'm, I'm going to be mm-hmm. making. Um, and that mostly has been reading stuff. So reading, reading scripture, reading books, um, spending some time in nature, spending some time in prayer. That's basically it. Mm. Trying to get some sleep, uh, trying to eat well sometimes. Um, but you know, trying to, trying to have some sort of holistic health going on. Um, but also, I have this sense still that I wonder for all of us whether there's some long-term stuff bubbling under. Yeah. That low dread that you talk about is quite resonant. Mm. That I think, gosh, how when we finally get some sort of all clear, when mm. we get a somebody tells us, do you know what? It's it's okay now to go outside and be close to people again. Yeah. I wonder what the outpouring will be of that without trying to frighten people mm. or frighten myself. Mm. I think probably there will be some stuff to do. I think we will have a huge release of tiredness and emotion, mm-hmm. uh, exhaustion that we've been pent up. Um, all of that stuff will kind of come out then. So we should be preparing ourselves for that by staying as healthy as we can in mm. every sense now. The other thing that really strikes me about your um, what you just said, which was beautiful, um, was how much I find this time in the Psalms. So I think lots of people have found <laughs> yes, themselves yes. in the Psalms in, yes. in the last six months. And the Psalms are, you know, there are lots of different uh, structures and types of Psalm, but one of the sort of very familiar themes in a Psalm is a Psalmist writing, you are God, you're my fortress. Yes. I love you. Yeah. And then about 12 verses of my enemies are on all sides. Yes. The plague and pestilence is descending. Ah, where yeah, are yeah. you? How long, Lord? How, how long must I wait? And then it ends with, but I know that you're good. Yeah. I know that you're for me. I know that my fortress end. Yes. And and I feel like that's often how processing this time feels. Yes. Like it's a, a sense of like, God, I know you're I know you're in this. I know you're with us. I see your yes. hand. But this is scary and big and hard and Absolutely. I don't know how to navigate it, no. but I know you're there. And I and I used to I totally agree with you. And I used to read those Psalms as almost like the, the pattern of thought so you, the thought is despairing the thought is and then the thoughts end up positive and and I, through lockdown i thought actually it's a bit more sensual and 
physical than that. So mm. at the beginning of lockdown, my daughter was struggling to sleep a lot. So she, we put a tent up in her bedroom and, and she slept in that and, that. and feeling cocooned by a tent made her feel safe. And I, I was reflecting on King David, like, you are my refuge. And mm. I wondered if he had in his mind a picture of being in a cave or under canvas. And, and, I, and I almost wonder whether David and the psalmist is saying, it's not so much that I think now more positive things about God with me but I almost I put my hands out and I touch the sides of the tent and I go but you're here mm. you're good you're good and actually I'm, I'm I'm touching your goodness I'm so I, I just think like we don't often do this on the podcast but I think if if any of this has resonated with you and you're even feeling the low dread of but I can't think my way into the uplift at the end of the psalm you don't need to you just feel your way into it you close your eyes and you stop relying on what used to be the signs that God was with you and you stretch out your hands and say, I'm going to feel differently. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to, sorry, I'm going to reach for you. I'm going to receive the fact that you, the fact that you are good God, I haven't got to conjure up. That, that is a, that is a world holding truth, like God's righteousness, God's goodness just runs through everything. And God, I just want to, I want to receive that and experience that and know that not just in my mind, but deep within me where the dread lies. And I, and I think that I think that could be an interesting thing for us if we, if we move from some of our coping strategies into a different way of engaging with, with what's going on. I receive the truth of who you are, God. I don't just mm. see it in my head, but I receive it into my very being. Um, and I, I can't even explain it because in a way, I don't know what was happening for me those nights where I was touching the, the edge of the tent, but I felt like I touched the edge of the tent. I went, but you're here, God. I feel like I'm in a big open field, but actually you're here. There's a tent around me and that's you around me. So it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, and that, yeah. So, so God bless you guys. We don't normally end with something like that, but it felt really apt, didn't it today, Martin, yeah. to kind of land that deep in our hearts. Cause we are, we are together in this. Yeah. So, mighty um, God. so, Hey, that's really beautiful. Thank you, uh, Rachel. So yeah, that's it for quite a challenging edition of the Youthscape podcast. And we, we do it because we love you. And so we, uh, so especially that's true yes. this time. Uh, sometimes yes. I feel like we are the mum, the mum and dad. You know, I, it's you feeling know, more I like that. Be. I want to be. Um, I want to see them but, all face to face. But um, hug. but yeah. So I think that's why we've talked about a, a fairly tough yeah. topic. And if you're anything like me, I've been avoiding John Mark Comer's book for the last six months. So I don't to say yeah, it. I have not read no, it. No, everyone's trying to make me read it. No, I'm like, I, I am it. not reading that book. Yeah, um, well, you're, you're know the one I mean. Yeah, not you? reading that book. Um, <laughs> and, but I, but I, oh, I feel so free. Is that good? I hope others. I love the guy, but I can't bring myself to read no, it. No, no. So, um, but you know, this is this is actually like we we are we're in this with you. Like if you're feeling some of this stuff at the moment, we're in this with you and we are not setting ourselves up as the saints because we can't even read the hurry book, for goodness sake. (laughs) We can't even bring ourselves to read that. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, but we pray that this week you'll experience God, Mm -hmm. perhaps in a a slightly fresh way. Maybe you'll feel a little liberated by this conversation Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and by this honesty. And so, um, so yeah, th- this we'll do a fun one next time. Should we do a fun one? Yes. But this has been, but yes. this has been important. I think. Yeah, it has. So, um, so we we love you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>